And we're going to give our attention today uh, to verses 5 through 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. This morning we're going to conclude our series that we've titled On Purpose. In this series we've looked at areas of our faith where we want to be intentional, areas where we need to give attention, areas where we must uh, be on purpose. We've looked at worship, holiness, generosity, and last week, at least in the first service, we looked at witnessing on purpose, being intentional in sharing our faith. And of course, if you were with us last Sunday, uh, we're thankful for all that the Lord did as he just moved in an unexpected and uh, really special way, uh, kind of giving us a taste of revival last Sunday. And I'm thankful for the work that he did in so many hearts. Uh, in our first service this morning, we had another young lady who came forward and uh, shared that she had placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that's another baptism that we'll be uh, looking forward to celebrating. Uh, but uh, as we think about last week uh, and come to this week, um, I think much of what we saw the Lord do last week is in response uh, to what we're talking about this week, and that is praying on purpose. Uh, I think we saw the Lord move in an unexpected way last week because many people uh, had been praying that God would stir our hearts, that God would do a mighty work among us here at Poplar Springs. And uh, as the service ended last Sunday, and this kind of people were just lingering around and rejoicing in what God has done, I was encouraged uh, by so many who came to me and said, Pastor Wayne, we had just been praying uh, that God would just move, that God would revive, that we would have uh, a revival and awakening. And uh, I'm believing uh, and trusting that uh, the Lord began to do that for us uh, last Sunday, and I'm certainly thankful for that. And again, part of that, I believe, is because so many were praying for that. And praying on purpose is something that we must be about as followers of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through uh, 13, and we'll hear Jesus give us instructions uh, regarding our prayer life. And this morning, we want to look at them and see how they can help us uh, be intentional in this most important aspect of our faith. So if you have your Bibles open, I want to read God's Word for us. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. You follow along and hear God's Word today. Jesus speaking, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your rooms and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me once more? Our heavenly Father, we thank you today for this, your holy word. And Lord, we pray now that your word would go out in demonstration and power of your spirit, that you would use it, O oh Lord, to accomplish your eternal purposes. Father, what we know not, I pray that you would teach us. 
Lord, what we have not, I pray that you would give us. Lord, what we are not, I pray that you would make us. And Father, I pray earnestly today that you would make us people who are mighty in prayer. Help us to pray on purpose. For we ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. J.C. Ryle is a name that some of you will probably recognize. You've heard me mention his name before. Uh, if you remember, as we talked about being uh, holy on purpose as part of this series, uh, I quoted Ryle several times. He uh, was a, a bishop in Liverpool uh, in the late 1800s and is most noted and recognized because of his work on holiness, uh, a work that's uh, simply titled Holiness, Practical Aspects of Religion. Uh, but uh, Ryle wrote many other works. Some aren't quite as uh, recognizable, but uh, he penned several other works that are also worth consideration. And I came across one of them last year, just rather unexpectedly. It was a book that he wrote that's titled, Do You Pray? A Question for Everybody. Uh, it's a relatively short book, but it had a profound impact upon uh, my life and specifically my prayer life. I found it to be quite convincing, even if it was quite convicting. Do you pray? What a question. It's a question that I present to you this morning as well. Do you pray? And do you pray on purpose? In the book, Raoul writes... The problem is that prayer is one of those things which we think will happen automatically. So, of course, it is shamefully neglected. I think Ryle is absolutely correct. We don't accidentally pray. Rather, we must be a people who pray with intentionality. Uh, we must be people who pray on purpose. Uh, this is what we see taking place in the early church in the book of Acts. It was a church... Uh, that was fueled in part by two things. It's ministry in the Word, and it's ministry of prayer. And this, are, this is what every church should devote themselves to, the ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. It's in the ministry of the Word that we uh, speak about God, but it's the ministry of prayer that calls us to speak to God. And in his book, Ryle asks another simple question, can we speak to God as well as we can speak about him? Now, let me say that again. Can we speak to God as well as we can speak about God? Now, I think you know this morning that I have a profound conviction regarding the word of God, uh, that it is the authority that we place ourselves under, that it is uh, what we look to to give direction to our practice of faith. Uh, that God's word is inerrant and infallible. That's the reason we center our worship service around the proclamation of the word. And as we learn the word and share the word and speak the word, we're learning much about God. And I think that's incredibly important. I think doctrine and theology matter immensely. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and we get that from God's word. But there should be more. For many of us, we can talk very well about God. We have our doctrine in place. We have our the, uh, theology down. But I wonder, can we speak to him as well? Can we speak to him as well as we talk about him? 
So we must be a church that prays on purpose. If we're not praying on purpose, then we're simply running on half power. Uh, We're like an airplane with only one wing. We'll get no lift and we won't make it very far. So my prayer is that we'll recognize this morning uh, the importance of prayer in our life as a church and in our lives as believers. And I think the text that we're looking at this morning is worthy of our consideration. In Matthew chapter 6, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Jesus describing and preaching what kingdom life is like. And in the midst of that sermon, he gives us this instruction about prayer. It actually comes at a portion of the sermon uh, where Jesus is dealing with three foundational aspects of Judaism, practicing Judaism in his day. Uh, The idea of almsgiving, the idea of prayer, and the idea of fasting. Uh, If you had those three things down as somebody who was practicing uh, Judaism, you, you were going in a pretty good direction. But as he did in all aspects of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes these three things and really transforms them. He kind of elevates them and gives the right and true understanding of them. And he gives us that about prayer in our text today. Now, we're familiar with this passage. Uh, We hear at the end of it in verses 9 through 13 what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Many of you can probably quote it by heart. You maybe even knew it as a young child and remember it even today as an adult. And while we call it the Lord's Prayer, it's probably perhaps better described as the model prayer or the disciples' prayer. Uh, In this passage, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Uh, We find a parallel to this passage in Matthew's Gospel, uh, in Luke's Gospel as well, Luke chapter 11. And in that context... Jesus has spent time in prayer. The disciples have seemingly heard how he was praying, and so they ask him, teach us, Lord, how to pray. We want to pray like Jesus. And in response and in answering to their question, Jesus gives them this same text. He gives them this model prayer, this disciple's prayer. This is Jesus' instruction on how we pray with purpose. As we think about this text this morning, I want you to see with me Three thoughts, three thoughts from Jesus on praying with purpose. Nothing really profound, uh, nothing probably that you haven't seen before, but I remind us of it this morning so that hopefully we can have our desire for prayer stoked, that the flames of prayer in our lives will burn brighter and hotter than perhaps ever before, that as we pray on purpose, perhaps God in his goodness and in his sovereign grace will continue to give us glimpses of revival. So three thoughts that Jesus gives us about praying on purpose. Number one, I want you to see Jesus shares with us the expectation of prayer. The expectation of of prayer. This is really the introduction that Jesus provides before he gets us to the model prayer. We find it beginning in verse 5 and going through the, the first part of verse 9. And in the expectation of prayer, there's two things that Jesus lays out. I call them the do's and the don'ts. In the expectation of prayer, Jesus gives us the do's and the don'ts. So we'll start with the do's, and the do's is really kind of simple. Do pray. Do pray. The expectation of Jesus is that his followers, his disciples, those who trust in him, they will be people of prayer. This is where Jesus begins in verse 5. Look at what he says. When you 
pray. When you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. It seems to be understood by Jesus that his followers will be people of prayer. He comes back to this in verse 6. But when you pray. Again, the understanding is is that his followers will be people of prayer. And just in case we miss it, Jesus comes back to verse 7. And when you pray. And in case you haven't gotten it by then, Jesus is so good and gracious. He says, I'm going to tell you one more time in verse 9. As he begins the model prayer, he says, pray then. The expectation of Jesus, the do that Jesus is calling us to, is that we would be people of prayer, that we would pray. That's why Ryle's question is so powerful. Do you pray? Do you pray? Now, as Jesus lays forth this expectation that we would be people of prayer, I think he speaks of of two types of prayer. He has the expectation that we would pray individually or privately, if you will, that we would be people of individual, private prayer. Jesus mentions this in verse 6. Again, the expectation when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus has the expectation that we as his children, we as his followers, we would be people who pray privately, individually, that prayer would be an aspect of our lives, whether it's something that we do uh, in a devotional time that we have each day, Uh, That's important and something we should give consideration to, but also uh, an attitude of prayer that Paul teaches us about, that we pray without ceasing. But the point that Jesus is making here, his expectation is that individually, as a believer, you should be a person of prayer. And in fact, if prayer is not a part of who you are, then it should cause you to question, am I a believer? Because Jesus is clear, my people will pray. Jesus would teach us in many of his parables that men ought to always pray. Jesus has the expectation that we will pray privately and individually, but then he adds to that that we would also pray corporately, collectively. That prayer is not something that we simply do alone, but it's something that we do together as the body of Christ. Uh, We see this as Jesus begins to teach the model prayer. When we recite that, or when we read it from the text, as I did this morning, what we should notice are the plural pronouns that Jesus uses there. Jesus didn't say, pray then like this, my Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread, forgive me my debts. No. How did Jesus teach us to pray? What's the model prayer? What's the instruction? plural pronouns. Our Father, which art in heaven, uh, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, uh, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. So what we hear in this model prayer is not my or me, but our and us. And in that, Jesus is teaching us that yes, going into your room and shutting the door privately is right and expected, But also, we should come together collectively and corporately and spend time in prayer. And again, in the book of Acts, this is the model that we see repeated so often. That they were a praying church. 
It started in Acts chapter 1, they were praying together. Acts chapter 2, they were praying together. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 13. And on and on we could go throughout the entirety of Acts, and we see the church in prayer. Now, I know what you're thinking, Pastor Wayne, we're, 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 we're praying. We're a church that prays. But I would remind you, I think there's a difference between a church that prays and a praying church. There's a difference between a church that prays and a praying church. I feel pretty confident, and maybe that's uh, more than what I should be, but I feel pretty confident that on every campus where people are gathering this morning in worship, that there will be some aspect of prayer going on in that service. But does that mean that they're a praying church? I think it just means that they're a church that prays. We've got to remind ourselves, and we must remember that prayer for us corporately, collectively, as a body of, uh, of believers, as a family of faith, that our praying is not just something to help the flow in our service. It's not something that helps us transition from one song to another or from one aspect of service to another aspect. No, praying should identify who we are. It should be our DNA. As much as we uphold the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God, so too we should uphold praying collectively as the people of God. This is what Jesus is getting at with his expectation, that we pray corporately. We pray corporately. It should be a major part of who we are as followers of Christ. And that's the reason I want to encourage you, another shameless plug right here, that you make your plans to join with us on the first Sunday night of February for a prayer meeting. We'll gather with the intentional purpose of praying. Praying corporately, praying collectively. We'll pray some of the things that we're going to see Jesus give us instruction for here this morning in our text. Bold prayers, big prayers. Praying for God to do mighty things. We want to be that church that prays that way. So join with us that Sunday night. And then as we go throughout this year, there'll be other opportunities that we're going to present to you and share with you of how we can pray collectively as the body of believers at Poplar Springs. But that's the expectation of Jesus. That's his do. Do pray individually and do pray corporately. But then he gives us some don'ts. The expectation of Jesus is that we do pray those ways but we don't pray in other ways. And he gives us two examples here. Back in verse 5, he tells us, don't pray like hypocrites. In Jesus' day, they were the religious elite, and they would go down to the street corner where the hustle and bustle of life was taking place. And uh, they would stand there, and they would pray in such a fashion, very ornate, uh, very eloquent, probably very loud, and they were drawing attention to themselves, wanting the passerbys to look at them and notice them and go, man, what a righteous dude that guy is. I wish I could pray like him. I wish I could be like him. They were praying for self-serving, self-focusing reasons. And Jesus says, they're a hypocrite. They pray publicly, but privately, there's something entirely different. Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite when it comes to your praying. Make sure your public praying matches up with your private living. Now, let me remind us here of, of what hypocrisy is not. I know a lot of times we don't feel like praying, and so when we don't feel like praying, we think, well, why should I pray? If I don't feel like praying and I pray, I'm just a hypocrite. No, you're not. That's called being disciplined. That's called being faithful. 
doing something when you don't feel like it, going through with it when it's not always enjoyable or it doesn't always seem easy. That's just being faithful. And we need to be faithful in our praying. A hypocrite is someone who who does it for all the wrong reasons, for self-serving motivations. But Jesus says, make sure you're not a hypocrite in your praying. And then he tells us in verse 7, make sure we're not a pagan in our praying. Now, Jesus here uses the word Gentiles. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. When he uses Gentiles there, he's not using it ethnically. He's not using it in the distinction as we see it sometimes of Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew. When he uses Gentiles in this context, he's simply referring to those who are pagan in their worship. He says, don't pray like them. They heap up a bunch of empty phrases, vain repetition. Uh, We see this still in some of the false religions in the world today as they kind of enter into a time of prayer and it's just vain repetition, working something up, trying to to get a false God, a dead God, a non-God to do something. I think the Old Testament example of this that we can think of is what happened with the prophets of Baal and Elijah on Mount Carmel in the book of Kings. How they spent all day crying out in vain repetition to nothing but an idol who was nothing at all. Jesus reminds us we don't have to pray that way because we pray to a true and a living God, a God who hears and answers our prayers. So he says, don't pray like the hypocrites and don't pray like the pagans, but do pray personally and do pray corporately. That's the expectation of prayer that Jesus has. But then secondly, Jesus gives us encouragement in our prayer, the encouragement of prayer. This is kind of sprinkled throughout the text. When you're reading your Bibles, one of the things I would encourage you to do when you're reading a text of Scripture, look for repetition. Because that's some of the ways in which the biblical authors are driving a point home. Uh, They didn't have italicized font. They didn't have underlining. They didn't have bold. And, uh, you know, so when they were wanting to make a point and to stress something, it came through repetition. And here in this short passage of teaching on prayer, we, we find Jesus repeating something to us. And the phrase that he comes back to several times is Father. Father. We see it kind of all throughout our text this morning. He tells us, first of all, in relation to the hypocrites, not to pray like them, but he says, instead, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then in relation to the the Gentiles, he says, don't pray like them, verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then as he gives instruction on how we should pray, Jesus begins that model prayer in what fashion? Our father. So several times in these few verses, Jesus is drawing our attention to the relationship that we have with God, that he is our father. And that's the encouragement that he is giving to us to pray and to pray on purpose. That because of the gospel and our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can now claim uh, the God of heaven as our heavenly father. We go to him as his adopted sons and daughters, pouring out our hearts, making our requests known. And what an encouragement that is. Jesus says, pray like this, our father in heaven. What an encouragement to know that we have that relationship with God. 
As we think about that relationship, I think it's important to remember that, that not everyone is a child of God. Now, everyone is a creation of God, but despite what so many in the world say today, and, and we've heard the phrase so often, uh, we're all God's children. No, we're not. No. I know it sounds really good, but just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's biblical. It's not biblical to say we're all God's children. The reality of the claim that we are God's children comes solely on the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith and trust in Him. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. In verses 15 through 17, he says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And in John 1, John begins his gospel by reminding us, to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, to all who did receive Jesus and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So to claim status as a child of God means that you have the Spirit of God residing within you, that you have been born again, that you have received and believed in the name of Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the only way we can claim to be a child of God. It's the only way that we can pray our Father who art in heaven. But the good news of the gospel is that invitation is extended to all. Perhaps today you realize, you know, I'm not a child of God, and maybe that's why my prayer life's not really good. Today you can become his child. You can trust in him. You can believe in him. You can call upon his name, and all who do, the Bible says, he will save. But let's think about this encouragement of prayer, that we can pray to our Father in heaven. Uh, just three simple thoughts in relation to that. Number one, his identity. His identity. He is the true and the living God. We have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. What a glorious truth. And then his ability. Jesus says we're praying to our Father, our Father in heaven. And the glorious reality is that when we pray to him, prayer can then do anything that God can do. Prayer can do anything that God can do. You know why I think we see so little done in our lives spiritually and why we see so little done in the church today? Because we're not praying and asking God to do it. God has mighty ability. There is nothing that is too hard for him. John Newton, uh, that familiar hymn writer, we, we know a song, Amazing Grace, but he wrote many others. And in one, he penned the words in relation to prayer, you are coming to a mighty king. Large petitions with you bring. His grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. What a glorious truth. That we can pray to our Father in heaven and there is nothing that is too hard for him. He has a, a mighty ability. And then his generosity. His generosity. He's our heavenly Father. And Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
If God is willing to give his son, to give the very best that heaven had in order to to provide salvation for sinners like us, he's not going to withhold any other thing from you that you need. He is a generous father. The psalmist said in Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a son and shield and he bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So this is the encouragement that Jesus is giving to us. Pray. Pray to your father because of who he is, the ability that he possesses, and the generous spirit whereby he bestows favor and honor. So be encouraged. You're praying to your father who is in heaven. And then Jesus gives us finally this morning the example of prayer. The example of prayer. The model prayer, the disciples' prayer, or as you may know it, the Lord's prayer, but if we're honest, this is probably not a prayer that Jesus ever prayed other than teaching his disciples to pray. And we know that because there was no debt that Jesus needed to be forgiven of. He was a sinless and perfect son of God, which made him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So in this moment, he is giving instruction to us, providing an example of how we should pray. And there's two parts to the Lord's prayer. Uh, the first part deals with a Godward focus, a vertical focus. The second part deals with a horizontal focus or a relationship man focus, if you will. So I just want to walk them through, uh, walk through each part with you very, very quickly. So we think about the example prayer in part one, there's three petitions that we can offer to our Father in heaven. First of all, Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name would be exalted. Pray that God's name would be exalted. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Uh, That word hallowed simply means to, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be glorified. This is what Jesus is telling us to pray. Pray that you would make much of God in everything that you do. God, let us glorify you. God, let us see your name exalted above every other name. God, let us see you get all the glory and all the honor. We pray that God's name would be exalted. Secondly, we pray that God's kingdom would be established. He says, pray then like this, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. When Jesus is here speaking of the kingdom, he's speaking of the recognized rule of God. Now, God is ruling and reigning over all things. He sits upon his throne, high and lifted up. Nobody's taking him off. Nobody ever will. His rule will never come to an end. But we recognize that not everyone knows that. Not everyone acknowledges that. Not everyone lives in surrender or submission to that. And so the prayer that Jesus is teaching us here is that we would see his kingdom advance. That we would see the name of Jesus Christ taken out and and multitudes coming to trust in him for salvation and surrendering to him as Lord and Savior. It's one of the reasons we have a, a mission focus and why we pray for people in India and faraway places, many of which we'll probably never go to, but we pray because Jesus has told us, pray your kingdom come. We pray for the advancement of God's kingdom. Uh, we, we pray, thirdly, for the exercising of God's will. Jesus says, pray then like this, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we would see God's will accomplished. 
in our lives, personally, and throughout this world. We long to see God's will done here upon this earth, even as it is in heaven. Now, I want to stop right here for just a moment, and again, we could, we could spend an entire week on each one of those. But what I really don't want you to miss is where Jesus starts this example prayer. Praying for God's name to be glorified, praying for his kingdom to advance, praying for his will to be done. I think if we were honest, those are probably the things that are most missing in our prayers. Many of us, when we pray, we get ahead of the example that Jesus gives. We, we skip over part one and we get to part two. We, we pray, as one preacher said, grocery list prayers. We, we get this idea of, of daily needs and physical needs and these things that are touching us every single day. But Jesus doesn't start there. Jesus instead starts with these broad themes, these, these large goals, if you will. And Jesus wants us included in those things coming to pass through our praying for them. So my challenge to you today, the challenge that I give myself today as well, is let's pray to a big God to do big things. Many of us are praying entirely too small of prayers. Jesus is wanting us to pray boldly in that first part of the Lord's Prayer. And then he comes to the second part. And in this part, we're, we're kind of shifting uh, focus a little bit. It's not necessarily vertical now. It's kind of more of on a horizontal plane. And there Jesus continues, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we uh, have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, three things to pray for. Number one, pray for God's provision. Pray for God's provision. Yes, the Lord cares about what's going on in your life. Yes, the Lord cares about what you need. And Jesus here is instructing us to take those things to God as we pray for provision. This is what Jesus is getting at when he talks about praying for daily bread. Now that may seem like an odd request for us because if we want bread, we just go to the grocery store. But in Jesus' day, bread was kind of the substance of life. You, you had to have bread and you didn't just pick it up at the corner. It was something that was a little bit more difficult to come by. So you needed that provision. And so he was teaching them, come to me. Go to your Father in heaven for what your needs are. Now we can take that out from bread. Maybe it's a particular conversation you're going to have that day. Maybe it's a particular relationship. Whatever it is, whatever the necessities are in your day, take them to the Lord. Now as we think about praying for these provisions, whatever they may be, I think it captures some of what Jesus wants us to be about in prayer. Number one, the frequency of our prayers. Jesus said we pray for daily bread, right? He didn't say pray for your Sunday bread only. He didn't pray, say pray for your weekly bread or your monthly bread or your yearly bread. He said you pray for your daily bread. The indication is, is that you're going to be praying every day. So every day in which we pray, these things that he's given us examples of should be included in our praying on purpose. It speaks to us about dependency. As we pray to him for our daily bread, we're reminded that we are dependent upon him to meet our needs. If we depend upon our own selves, we're hopeless. So we pray in dependency, and we pray in order to develop and foster intimacy. Now again, if you're reading your text carefully, 
when Jesus was giving us the instructions of how not to pray, he said, don't pray like the Gentiles, don't pray like the pagans. Instead, uh, pray to your Father who knows what you need before you ask him. And then in the model prayer, Jesus says, ask him for your daily bread. So why do we need to ask him for something that he already knows we have need of? You ever wrestle with that? If God knows everything, why do I need to ask him? Why do I need to talk to him about it? He knows. Well, I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand in this example of praying is that as we pray to our Father, it creates intimacy with Him. Think about it in your own relationship with your earthly father. Some of you had great earthly fathers and had a really good relationship with them. Some of you didn't have that. And typically in those relationships that are fostered well, there's communication that's there frequent and often. And in those relationships where there's a a brokenness that's transpired, there's not much conversation that's taking place. And when that conversation's not there, that relationship's not growing, it's not thriving, there's not an intimacy built into it. So why do we pray daily for provisions, even though God knows what we need before we ask of Him? So that we can draw closer to Him, to build intimacy with Him. So Jesus says, pray for your provisions. Then he says, pray for God's pardon. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So in verse 11, Jesus says, bring to God your needs. And then in verse 12, he says, bring to God your sins and your shortcomings. And the good news is, is just as God is able to attend to our needs, he's capable of attending our sin to our sins as well. And that's wonderful news. Sometimes we don't go to God with our sins because we think, man, we're going to surprise him with something. You're not. He already knows. So just go to him with it. Ask him for pardon. Now, when Jesus is here saying, uh, teaching us to ask for forgiveness for our debts, again, he's teaching us this in, in the context of one who has a relationship with God. So this is not us losing salvation and going back to God in prayer to reattain, obtain that salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying. If you have placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your salvation is secure. You have been justified in the sight of God. You have been declared righteous. You have been given eternal life in him. You are accepted in Jesus. But we know there are some things that aren't acceptable. It's that way even with my own children. They are my children, and they are always accepted as my children. It doesn't matter what they do. Good days, bad days. They are my children and I accept them. But my children understand there are some things that aren't acceptable. There are some things that their dad doesn't want them to do or wish for them to do. And know, they know they shouldn't do those things. Well, we all struggle with that in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. We still struggle with sin. We still fall short. We're still battling against the old nature. And what Jesus is saying, when we, we, we come up short in that fight, when we give in to sin, we confess that to God. Confession needs to be a part of our praying. We take our sin to God. And the beautiful truth is, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us. And in that, we can enjoy sweet fellowship with our Heavenly Father. We're made acceptable through what Christ has done on our behalf. And then out of that, this is where Jesus goes out of enjoying fellowship because we're confessing our sins, we're then able to extend forgiveness to others. 
We seek the forgiveness of God, and as we're reminded, we are sinners and fallen short. And only by God's grace can we be reconciled and made clean. Then we're able to give forgiveness to others who have sinned against us. So Jesus says, pray for pardon. And then he concludes by instructing us to pray for protection. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Literally deliver us from the evil one. Jesus reminds us that we have an enemy who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we pray, God, guard our hearts, our minds. God, keep us from succumbing to temptation. And Lord, keep the evil one far, far from us. Jesus says this is the example of how we should pray. And so I close this morning by simply asking you the question that Ryle presented in his book. Do you pray? Yes, you may be able to say much about God, but do you say much to God? Do you pray? Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, as we've perhaps not given the attention to prayer that we should. And truthfully, Lord, it's not that we haven't prayed as we should. It's that we believed that we are sufficient in our own abilities, in our own strength. That we're not as dependent upon you as we should be. And Father, today I confess that we need you. Oh, we need you. Father, we need the power of your Spirit to work among us. That we may see your name glorified. That we may see your kingdom come. That we may see your will be done. Father, I pray that we would just not be a church that prays but that we would be a praying church, believing in prayer, practicing prayer. And Lord, as we do so, we pray that you would reward your people. Father, I pray if there's one here today, perhaps, that they can't pray because they don't have a relationship with you. They don't know you as their Father in heaven. They've never trusted in Christ. Lord, I pray right now they would know there is a prayer they could offer up. A prayer that would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him, His life, His death, His resurrection, surrendering to Him as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray today if there's one lost among us that they would pray that prayer. Lord, help us to pray. I think sometimes we just feel like we've got to do a whole bunch of other stuff when really you've told us just pray. Let us be people of your book and people of great prayer. And may it be for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name.